Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Joe. Welcome to the Founder Pack Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, Brendan. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, likewise. How is your week going so far? It's been nice and busy. You know, people trying to get everything crammed in before uh, July 4th. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> most people are going through that situation right now. I know we were talking a little bit before. Sounds like you've had a interesting week also. So maybe, you know, a nice long weekend, get everybody kind of recharged and, and get back after it for the second half of the year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and anything keeping you up at night? Or is that a dumb question, as I always say? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that keep me up at night, you know, entrepreneur mindset, myself, my co-founders for, for the companies that I work with, um, just always new ideas, you know, always trying to figure out how can we improve what we're doing or how can we basically come up with something new that people would find interesting also and incorporate that into what we're doing. So uh, a lot of a lot of nights where we stay up just kind of strategizing, talking. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs go through. And I'm quoting a guy by the name of Christopher Lockheed. He always says the most important type of thinking is thinking about thinking. <laughs> so <laughs> what he's trying to say is if you're just always in the weeds, you're sort of on autopilot and you don't actually get a chance to think. Um, so I don't know if that's something that you try to do more of as well. I think that's that's a great quote. I'd never heard that before, but I think it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, you, you have to be able to take a step back and it is easy, you know, when you're a co-founder or a founder, it's like the company is your baby and you want to just think that it's the greatest thing ever. And, and, you know, probably some ego and emotion gets tied into that. But being able to take a step back and, and you know, look in the mirror and be real with yourself, I think that's that's a great trait and a great thing that, that most founders should do. And uh, having said that, maybe this is a good time for you to introduce yourself, kind of just tell us a little bit about you, your background and your company, what your company does. Sure. So my name is Joe DePinto. Uh, I'm born and raised Los Angeles, California area. I went to the University of Southern California where I played baseball. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play professionally after that for four years uh, in the Chicago White Sox system. And that's where I met one of my, my current business partners, Daniel Wagner, who was also a baseball guy in the White Sox system. Me and him, we were roommates together um, during one of the seasons, and we both just kind of hit it off in the sense that we would talk about what's life after baseball like, you know, what types of ideas could we come up with or companies that we would want to start and really what we wanted to get out of life. Because when you're when you're playing baseball, it's easy to kind of become trapped by the game, I guess is, is the way I would put it. And what that means is, you know, even if you have a really, really successful career, you know, you're 38, 40 years old when you retire, you still got a decent amount of your life left. And at that point, most of your time has been spent, you know, on the ball field or in the clubhouse. And it's like, you know, for the rest of us that aren't the, the superstars that get to play that long, a lot of the careers end when you're 24 years old, you get two years in the minor leagues and that's it. Or even if you make it to the big leagues, you're 28, 29 years old when most of those careers end. 
And, you know, at that point you haven't made, you know, life changing money. So you've got to figure out what am I doing next? What's the next thing? And a lot of people just, you know, they stay in the game and they end up doing things that I don't know if, you know, when they were younger, if that's what they really envisioned themselves doing with life. So, uh, Dan and I kind of hit it off in the sense that we both had ideas outside of baseball and things that we wanted to do after our careers were over and understanding that that was going to be a, a real, you know, day at some point. So, uh, our first idea that we ended up pursuing was called BarPay, and that uh, is a company that still exists today. Thanks for sharing, Joe. So we were talking offline about Bitcoin before we jumped on, and you mentioned that there's this misconception around what Bitcoin can actually do, and you mentioned that it has two purposes that are not generally known to most in the public one of those is a trading commodity and the other is an infrastructure for transactions on the internet can you maybe just kind of walk us through that story a little bit more in detail absolutely and here's here's the um the statistics on on why and and how and and basically why it needs to be uh, a transaction service to have any value at least in my opinion so Right now, Visa is the current gold standard in terms of credit card transactions. The Visa network at its peak can do between 25 and 50,000 transactions per second. The cost, the fee associated with those, like we've said, is going to be about 2 to 4% of the transaction amount. BTC, the blockchain that people think is Bitcoin, uh, can do seven transactions per second. Not 7,000, not 700, seven. Okay, and the fees, we know they fluctuate anywhere from $1.50 up to $60, depending on how much activity is going on on the network. So I don't see that replacing Visa ever. It can't do more than seven transactions a second. So on a global scale, no one's going to be using that as actual peer-to-peer cash. Ethereum can do 15 transactions per second. The gas fees, $25 to $50. Again, in my opinion, not digital cash. Bitcoin SV, which is a fork of BTC, I would actually argue that BTC is a fork of, of Bitcoin SV because Bitcoin SV follows the original uh, white paper protocol, but that's a, sep- a separate conversation. But basically, Bitcoin SV can, has actually already done 100,000 transactions per second at fees that are a tenth to a thousandth of a penny. So when you compare that to the Visa network, that, in my opinion, is the only one that can scale as a global blockchain solution. And the only reason we've seen 100,000 transactions per second is because there hasn't been a need to do more. When there is, in theory, and what they're testing right now on the BSV network is eventually uh, it should be able to do billions of transactions per second as the fees even decrease. And the reason that's going to be important is because if we're going to live in a world that is quote unquote on-chain utilizing the blockchain, Things that are transactions are not just me paying for a coffee at you know the coffee shop. Me sending an email is a transaction. Now, I'm going to pay a very, very, very small fee to send that email, but what it's going to do is it's going to ensure that I and the recipient are the only ones that actually have access to that information. So they would need a private key to actually access that transaction and read the email. So that means that Google can't see it. That means that you know Yahoo can't see it. None of these major companies that make their money off of the customer data and selling customer data because they have access to those things. That's not meaning that Google is going and reading your emails, but you have to create an email address that is on a Google server, a Google account, basically. So there's still that third party 
that basically can, you know, if they need to control and manipulate your account. Now that doesn't happen very often, but I think a system where people have complete control of their data is something that Bitcoin gets us to. And that's why you need that many type there, the capability to do that many transactions per day, because it's more than just casual spending. It's literally everything. Any, any exchange of data could be a transaction on this blockchain. That's really fascinating. And it brings up a sidetrack for a second here. I've worked in cybersecurity for like the last six years and primarily email security. And I was wondering like why blockchain wasn't the next solution for improving the security and authentication between email recipients and senders. But are you saying now <clears throat> with this new BTC technology that it's possible that we could see this moving into a security use case and potentially in, in messaging and email security? I, I do think so, yes. Um, I think in general what it does, and, and people hear the notion of like Web 2 versus Web 3, but I think in general what Bitcoin does is transitions us to Web 3, which in my opinion, my definition would be that is an internet of micropayments. That is how an internet of micropayments would work. Web 2 is an internet of advertisement revenue. So what I mean by that is I might be watching YouTube, I might be scrolling through Instagram thinking that it's free, but it's not because those companies are actually, they're showing me some type of ad or they're collecting data on what I'm searching and then reselling my information to other companies that are advertising through their platforms. So I, as a customer, as a user, am paying with my data. And, you know, most people don't care about that, but it's, it's not, they, it's not that they don't care because of, um, you know, someone else seeing their data, but I think if they knew how much their data was actually worth, then they would care. Like they should be the ones monetizing their data, not these big companies. And that's what Bitcoin and microtransactions and web three allows for. So I've given an example where I'm paying, you know, a microtransaction to send uh, an email but what about the example where I'm actually making a microtransaction by watching a YouTube video? But now, instead of showing me the ad, it just says, do you want to watch an ad? They will pay you two cents to watch it as opposed to just having to wait five seconds and hit skip ad. So I can either skip the ad immediately and not get paid anything, or I can choose to watch the ad and make two cents or 10 cents or a dollar or whatever that advertiser is willing to pay. But it allows for the exchange of very, very small amounts of money which is, you know, basically what I think takes us from Web 2 to Web 3. And so Bitcoin SV, in my opinion, is really the only blockchain that can facilitate that at a scalable global level. Very cool, Joe. Thanks for sharing. Super interesting. So before we really jump into the episode for real, sticking with tradition, you're going to have to share one fun fact about yourself. I am a massive Star Wars fan. Um, I can't get enough of it. I, I, it's, it's like... It's amazing to me. It blows my mind. I love Star Wars. So I take it um, you've been to the Star Wars section in Disney. No, I have not actually. Uh, I'm 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 not a huge Disney Star Wars fan. I'm I'm more of a fan of like the George Lucas Joseph Campbell Heroes Journey version of Star Wars and and the way that they basically describe the the Force and it, it kind of is close to some of the things I believe in terms of how the universe works and, you know, laws of attraction or whatever you want to call them. I just think that those movies in general do an incredible job 
of of demonstrating and showing that in a pretty simple way. That's I, I just love it for that reason. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan myself, and I would highly recommend going to check out the the Star Wars park in in Disney. It's it's amazing. So you've you've been there? Yeah, I took my kid uh, for like his second birthday i think <laughs> and it did was, you did you make one of the custom lightsabers or did did you get him a custom lightsaber or her a custom lightsaber no i couldn't bring myself to like paying whatever <laughs> hundred bucks <laughs> yeah or they're something. expensive <laughs> mm-hmm. but maybe maybe next time if my kid twists my arm now that he's a bit older yeah <laughs> so you'd recommend checking it out though definitely i, I mean i could okay. go to disney every year it was like i was a Kind mm-hmm. of a kid in a candy store at Disney. I loved every second of it. We, That's awesome. We we totally crunched it. Like I think six days, six parks. You know, wake up at six <sighs> in the morning, get home at eleven at night, do the same thing over. <laughs> we were broken. That, those like, are long days. Yeah, we needed a vacation after the vacation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was well worth it. Um, So yeah, cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate all that. And yeah, we've had one hell of an introduction here. Thank you for all the (laughs) education on the Bitcoin stuff. That was really interesting. So as we sort of set up towards our rapid fire question of the show, could start with any trending events in the founder space. And I know you come with a, a unique experience being a founder and of having the VP of sales experience behind you as well. You're free to choose through which lens you want to discuss this. And one obvious trend is obviously the recession, but you don't have to go there. I'll leave it up to you to take it in any direction you want. No, I think, I mean, I think that is probably the most important thing to, to be aware of right now as a founder and just in the sense of what that means for like funding and fundraising. Uh, and I guess, you know, in sales, depending on what you're selling, who you're selling to, you know, your market might be affected more than others. But one thing that, you know, we've seen quite a bit, and especially in in the blockchain world, um, you know, six months ago, it was really easy to get money. Six days ago, it was really hard to get money. <laughs> and it's just, it, it's amazing how quickly things have kind of changed. Uh, so I think, you know, as a founder, you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of your runway, how much time, you know, how much money you have in the bank, how long that's going to last your team. And, you know, prepare. I've, I've seen a lot of articles from VCs saying, you know, hunker down, cut costs if you can uh, and, and be ready for, you know, a decent amount of time where VC funding isn't going to be impossible, but it's, it's not going to be as loosely given as, as the last couple of years have been. Now, I've also seen that in times like this, VCs, they still do need to invest. So when they find companies that they're actually interested in who have, you know, good unit economics and, and, you know, positive revenues and actually have stuff built out, those companies in in at least some of these articles are saying, you know, have an easier time raising money because they're kind of like the only people that are, that are worth talking to at that point from a VP's, uh, a VC's perspective. So I think it goes both ways. Um, I think that, you know, it's just definitely something to be aware of and, uh, keep your eye on. And if you're a founder, you know, you got to make some tough decisions in terms of cutting costs, but that's part of the deal in, in terms of keeping the company alive. So I would say being aware of that is is definitely, you know, the biggest piece of advice I would give right now. If you remember that that famous sales book, when everybody zigs, zag, it was a yeah. Zig Ziglar sales book. So if everyone is sort of following the cut and pausing 
their operations, there's an opportunity for you to kind of get ahead of your competitors. And then by the time things kick back in, you'll be like X amount ahead of everyone else. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, you got to have a little bit of a, a persistence also, you know, as a founder, it's like, you got to learn how to navigate through that stuff. And, you know, when you see opportunities, sometimes you have to take risks and, and, you know, I think that's a natural part of it. And uh, I, I just, the example I'll give would be bar pay. You know, we, we really kind of went without revenue for the first three or four years and then COVID hits and all the bars and restaurants close. And we're just like, what the heck do we do now? You know, but all of a sudden things just changed, you know, laws came out where it's basically you have to have contactless menus or uh, disposable menus. And because we just decided to stay with it, all of a sudden we're in an incredible position now right? going from basically like, we can't get this figured out to, wow, there's huge demand. So you just gotta, you gotta, you know, figure out ways to, to survive, especially when times are tough. And I think that's, you know, a trait of, of pretty good founders would be persistence and just continuing to push forward. There's an interesting correlation between new technologies, bringing new problems and solutions, and also like recessions and downturns, bringing new problems and solutions. And I think the common denominator is creativity. If that's where you can figure things out in times of maybe not desperation, but pressure and stress can sometimes bring out extremely creative solutions. It's yeah, I think that's a mentality also, right? Like if, if you're under pressure and you're stressed and you're focused on on the negative outcomes or, you know, the the dark side of of what your future could look like if you don't get things figured out. You know, I, I, I think that's a different mentality than looking at, you know, a pressure situation saying, wow, this is a chance that I can really prove something to myself and I can go and, you know, create something successful in a very difficult time and learn something about myself. So I think it's kind of how you look at things, you know, can can really create your own reality. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. And I think he was speaking with Ryan Holiday, a pretty famous author, and they were talking about how all the greatest boxers, comedians, and even some athletes have been born out of poverty. There's hard times that desperation being on the end of that sometimes brings out great people's solutions, innovation. Um, and I think it definitely applies to, to business as well. I think there have been many businesses that have been born during COVID. Like you said, it sounds like you're company flourished during COVID. Have you heard the term sink or swim? Yeah. I mean, going back to what you were saying, you know, you're born into one of those situations. That's basically your only option is sink or swim, you know? And, and like you said, I think a lot of, you know, great successful people do come from those situations just for that reason. You know, they have no choice other than, than to succeed. So I think it's a great time to segue to our rapid fire section. What would you say was your biggest aha moment and also choose the lens you want to answer these. You can either wear your founder hat or your VP sales hat. Okay. I would say, and this kind of just ties into my whole philosophy on life would be um, accepting what is like present as the only real thing that was supposed to happen. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, for bar pay, sales can be slow at times. And, you know, you sit there and you think like, man, what do I have to do? Like, I'm reaching out to people, I'm doing all these things. And then 
all of a sudden you're not doing anything and a bunch of leads come in and people are all of a sudden like interested in your product. And the aha moment was just like, when I'm putting out into the universe or, you know, my energy or whatever is, is saying, I need this. I don't have this. I have to go and get this. The things that return to you are not what you're seeking. They are basically more of the same. Whereas when you understand that you are content and you are, you know, exactly where you're supposed to be in a given moment, and you hopefully try to make that every single moment, uh, things flow to you as your actual like true subconscious level wants them to. And I guess the the aha would be just like learning kind of how to let go and not it, it's it's you don't want to say not care, um, but maybe it's more so not care about the outcome. It's it's just be here in this moment and whatever opportunity is presenting itself is what you're supposed to pursue and give that your best, you know, effort that you can and the outcome is is less important because that's not what's actually going on in the present. So I don't know if that's exactly an aha moment, but it, it it's I think it's close enough. Yeah, it's sort of like applying some stoicism, control what you can control and just let go of yeah. the things you cannot. Exactly. And then what would you say has been the biggest misconception that you've experienced that you would like to share? I think I've hit on it uh, today in terms of what people think Bitcoin is. Um, BTC, in my opinion, is a huge misconception of what blockchain and Bitcoin is. And I, I, I feel that it's very unfortunate that that is the narrative that a lot of people are being exposed to. Uh, something I didn't quite get to earlier that I, I just remembered in terms of value and where value comes from uh, on, on blockchain and Bitcoin and why these things have you know prices of $20,000 or $1,000 or whatever it is. Well, in my opinion, value comes from scarcity and utility. Okay, so BTC Bitcoin has scarcity. There's only 21 million of them that will ever be minted. But the utility, in my opinion, is not there. And, and saying that it's a store of value or digital gold, that's not a utility to me. Like I can't go and spend gold, you know, I guess technically I could if I went to the bar, but how am I going to shave off, you know, a little piece of gold for the drink I just bought? Uh, utility on Bitcoin SV is in the form of transactions. It has the same scarcity, 21 million, but it actually has utility because you can use it to pay for things. I just think that that's a very clear and, and understandable thing to do. So to answer the question, biggest misconception I've seen recently, the digital gold narrative surrounding BTC and people thinking that's Bitcoin. I think that a lot of people, I mean, they, they have lost a lot of money in the last couple of weeks, uh, but I think this is just kind of the start. I, I do see that uh, most of the crypto market is is probably going to go away just because there is no utility. And in terms of pitfalls or failures that you would like to share with other founders? Yeah, uh, we started another company, Dan and I, called Vera um, right before COVID. And I don't know if it was just the timing or what, but the idea there was that was when like influencers on Instagram were starting to like, you know, make a lot of money. And that was like, everybody wanted to be an influencer. Well, we had been paying attention to like micro influencers. So people with like 2000 followers or less because their engagement was a lot higher on their posts because it's people they actually know than, you know, the, the influencers with a million or 10 million plus followers who are making all this money from their posts, even though they're not getting all that much engagement. Uh, so we started this company called Vera, where basically we were trying to link brands with micro influencers that had, you know, 2000 or less people. Uh, we were not very successful in in getting any brands on board to pay, but we got 
you know, a lot of people, micro influencers interested in the idea. It just, it, it didn't get any legs. Like we ran out of money. Um, and it, it, yeah, that was it. What about some recent successes to even things out? Uh, I'm just, I'm really proud and pleased with how Haste and the Haste Arcade are doing. I think the team over there is incredible. Like the developers that we're working with, the people we brought on board, the the projects that we've actually already released. So things, you know, a lot of people talk about tokens or NFTs. Not a lot of people talk about micropayments because I don't think they realize that that's one of the, the primary capabilities of Bitcoin. But a lot of the things I hear, like these are projects that are coming soon, you know, from from other blockchains, whereas we have working, you know, NFTs that have actual utility. An example I'll give is, you know, we have a, a new game coming out called uh, Monster Bombs. And basically, it's just a baseball game. Character is a monster that hits a home run or, or hits in a home run derby. But what you can do is you can buy a physical like Haste Arcade jersey. So we'll ship you a jersey. You'll also get an NFT with that jersey that you can then equip on your player. So it's not just you're getting a JPEG that you tell people is super rare. It's something that you can actually wear in our game. And then in future games, you'll also be able to equip that jersey. So I could be sitting there in my real jersey playing a video game wearing that same, you know, proof that it's actually mine on my character. And like, these are things that we've built. Uh, I'm, so, you know, things I'm proud of, things I think that have been successes recently is just how much we've actually been able to deliver. Uh, and I think, you know, once people start finding out about this, they're going to be pretty excited also. Awesome. And then in terms of like your challenges to date, and if you've solved them, how did you solve them? I don't think we've solved our, our biggest challenges. I think until, you know, we have billions of users, which is what we've set out for. Um, we will not have said that we've we figured out the solution. But, you know, like most businesses, I think our biggest challenge is how do you get more people in and how do you get them spending money and then spending more money? And that's, you know, where where we're constantly tinkering, especially on the marketing side of every day. It's, you know, let's try this, let's try that. We have to keep experimenting and some things, you know, get good results. Some things get less good results. But at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's always something new that we can try to do. And uh, you just go back, you measure the data, and then you make decisions to move forward. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Before we wrap up here today, is there anything else you'd like to share that we may have, that we didn't cover that you would like to share with other founders? Um, I think, you know, I, I hit on persistence a little bit, but if you're a startup founder, you know, be prepared to, to have to sacrifice things, right? Like, you know, most people who, who are true startup founders, they've done stuff like sleep on friends' couches or, uh, you know, lived at home when other people were out there living in nice apartments and going out every night. And it's, it's, it's difficult to, you know, see your friends and other people who haven't chosen the lifestyle that you have having a lot more success early and, and going on and doing life things like getting married and having kids. You've got to know if, if this is truly something you're getting into, you got to be prepared to, to treat it like your family for five, 10, even 20 years if, if that's what it takes. So uh, I think, you know, the persistence is, is something that uh, I don't know if you can teach it. I think you, you probably can. But as a founder, I would say you've got to have it. Awesome. Thank you for that. If anyone would like to connect with you, keep in touch, pick your brain, where's the best place to connect with you? Sure. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn or uh, you can email me actually just joe at hastearcade.com or joe at barpay.com, depending on what you want to talk about. Joe, it was a pleasure. Thank you again for taking the time to chat with me today. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Brandon. You're welcome. Take care. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack Podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.